Welcome to Week in Horror. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. The podcast that deep dives all the films you love. Gotta be fucking kidding. The week they dropped in horror history. We all go a little mad sometimes. With your horror hosts. JL. When a shirtless Sam Elliott with no mustache takes out a, an alligator with a uh, with an oar, that's the kind of movie I'm looking for. Eugene. And we're just casually just like, yeah, so this is probably the best way to go, light someone on fire with gasoline. I'm, Alex. It would not be an original lineup if I didn't have fucking technical <laughs> Johnny O. Now, it's not an Amityville. Or wherever it's Amityville. And Aaron. They, they got manure to work with and nothing very from it. <laughs> News, trailers, trivia, special guests, and more. You're going to need a bigger boat. Live show every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central at YouTube.com slash Week in Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! And wherever you listen to podcasts. One by one, we will take you. Week in Horror. <laughs> Stay scared. <laughs> Who let my kids in here? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Welcome, welcome, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time, and that means it's time for another episode of the Turd Polisher 9000, also known as Weekend Horror Podcast. The only podcast that's like a wire inside you getting tighter and tighter. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember we do this every live, every live. Jesus Christ! Read much? No. no, no. <laughs> not, not, since, uh, not since college when I got my fucking degree in English. <laughs> Let's try that again. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember we do this live every Wednesday right here on YouTube. Come hang out and see all the stuff our editor doesn't want you to see, like that flub just now. Uh, mm, mm. Mm-hmm. This week we're covering select horror <laughs> films released July 9th through July 15th. Fuck off, we're not in July. We are in July. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm not JL, like the script says. I'm oh, Johnny son L. of a bitch. <laughs> I fixed Best intro every, ever. I fixed everything but that. There it is. God... Mother, mother, puss bucket. <laughs> well, I mean, it happens every single week, every week, JL. It wouldn't be a weekend horror show without it. Anyway, uh, JL, who's not that way, he's not this way, <laughs> and then Eugene, who's not that way. Good evening, everyone. What's up, everybody? Hell, <laughs> we're a bunch of fucking professionals here. This is how we do oh, it. Man. Live shows. That's what makes live shows so much fun. You know, that's why live theater will never will never replace film because film you always see the perfect ending. With live live theater is always you never know what's going to happen, which is why you. I mean, you're supposed to know what's going to happen, but you never know what's going to happen. That's why I like what was that? Uh, Birdman it was great. Yes. <laughs> Shows up naked from the wrong side with no gun, just holding his finger out like this. <laughs> the gun. God, Michael Keaton is such a fucking legend, man. I love He's that a, dude so yeah, much. Terrific. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, speaking of which, you know, I, I, you just brought it up. Michael Keaton, Beetlejuice 2. I know. I talked about it weeks ago. Nobody believed me. I was like, no, it's fucking happening. Winona Ryder's back. Uh, yeah. Catherine O'Hara's yeah. back. Michael yeah. Keaton is back. Jenna Ortega comes in as. Yeah. 
um, kind of like I guess it's Lydia Jr. is as Lydia as 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 Lydia's daughter, but obviously you know t- uh, <laughs> Tim's jumped on the Jenna Ortega train. He absolutely has. Whoa, whoa. Whoa. Oh, your your camera went out, Eugene. I oh. I don't no, I don't mean Fuck it like that. Get your word. mind out of the fucking gutter, dude. <laughs> Fuck. I myself, I, I myself am almost on the Jenna Ortega train because everybody. I mean, her, she was fantastic in Wednesday. She was absolutely brilliant Wednesday. Okay. I thought I thought she has good chemistry with uh, the other actors in the in the two screen movies she's done, and she's done decent work. She's she's a talented actress. And Wednesday, I like that's the that's the most I've liked her seeing her work. Was in went was in the, the series Wednesday. It'll be interesting to see how she develops that arc in season two. So I'm really curious about that. But it took me a long time to get on the whole like Jen Ortega train to be like, yeah, she's like the new this. And I can see that Tim Burton is kind of like, ah, oh, he's found like a new. And I hate to make this; it's a weird comparison to make, but essentially, it's kind of like the new Hel- Hel- like a young Helena Bonham Carter that he could pick up. She's dark, she's moody, she's deadpan, and she can delay. She's got those big, wide anime eyes, and so <clears throat> Tim Burton hired her because she's Jenna Ortega. Okay, she's a name. She's she's bankable. Well, right yeah, she's right. bankable, but Burton has, has a, a Burton has a specific say, uh, no. Burton has a specific maybe, aesthetic maybe. that he Whatever. that he looks for. Yeah, 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 yeah. He could get anybody in that aesthetic he wants because he's just that. Fucking no, he can't. Yes, he can. It's always like like for like the longest time it was two actors: was Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> yeah, but there was also Winona Ryder. This is not her first or her second or her third uh, Tim Burton film. Well, you, you know how she got the Wednesday gig, right? So she was actually in the middle of filming X, and she okay. filmed her death scene. I hear a voice, but I don't. Yes, it, it is a speaking mean. icon. <laughs> the camera, it doesn't. I don't know. I'll I'll try to fix it a little bit. But it's, it's so, the it's the inverted nipple on yes. the screen. <laughs> but what ended up happening was she filmed her death scene in X. Right. And so she was covered in blood, and then she literally filmed that scene, went straight to the airport, flew to her audition for Wednesday, and showed up covered in blood. Wow. And Tim Burton was like, I like it. Nice. Got, gotta love it. Gotta love All it. All I'm saying is that she was a name. And well, she's, she's well, I mean... Right no, oh, she's I, I, right now, but not. At I'm that not time. saying that she's. A, I'm, I, not saying yeah. that, I'm not saying she's a bad actress. I'm not saying she's not good at what she does because she definitely brought something. And there goes Eugene. Eugene says, "Fuck this, I'm out." Uh, <laughs> um, you will not disparage Jenna Ortega, <laughs> motherfucker. Fuck off, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to. All I'm saying is that she's not somebody. I, I don't look at her and go, "Oh yeah, she could rival Tony Collette, or she could rival." Um, Helen Bonham Carter, you know what I mean? She's good. She's just for me. She's like, okay, all right. I don't hate her. I don't hate. As a matter of fact, I think it's Helena. I think it's Helena. Helena Bonham. Give this shit. I'm but kidding. but <laughs> I but I love Helena. I do. I've loved everything that she's done. I especially loved her in Big Fish. I thought she was fantastic. But um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I'm very curious. I, I'm interested to see. She's she's caught my attention. She caught my attention with um with Wednesday. Saw her in X. I felt there was a little bit of a throwaway. Uh, saw her in, of course, Scream. Stop uh, it. I'm, there we go. And, you were talking. But Wednesday, she really got my attention. I thought that was really, really strong. And I, I really, really good chemistry with her fellow actors. And so I'm looking forward to what she can do from there. Plus, I also would like to see a, a, uh, 
as kind of a sister comedy or like, you know, like, like not really sisters, but sister comedy with Aubrey Plaza because the two of them work so phenomenally together. I'd love to see that. that I don't know. I, don't, I think it'd be too much. That would be too much dark and brooding. May, maybe, but I, but I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. So before we dive into, it, we got to go. We got one thing we got to take care of before we dive into tonight's selections. Uh, but first let's see who's in the live chat. And we got to make sure we always get it up. Bam. There's our Patreon banner. All of the Whoa. amazing people who make the show possible. What? Easy, man. That's two. Good lord. Two what? First, you're running a train on Jenna Ortega, and I got to make sure and get it up. God bless you. You're such a douche. Anyway, so there are all these. You got to get it up for the train. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. What happened? Sucks. I'm trying trying to work here. Okay. But there's all the amazing people in the banner that help us to make the show possible. So thank you a huge, uh, a huge amount to all of our amazing patrons. Who uh, you were about to say thank you, huge Jackman, huge Jackman. <laughs> so, thank you all so much. We do appreciate it. And let's see who we got in the, the live chat tonight. I see Casey Cooper's here. Good to see you. This is well met and beyond. Thank you so much, Casey. Uh-huh. Thanks so much for being here. And I see Travis Brown is here. It says, Good evening, everyone. Hope you did not vi- get visited by zombified Uncle Sam last night. I did not see him, but he definitely does want your brains. Excellent. Strange Like 790 is here. It says, Hello. Him. Why do you always choose to talk when I'm talking? I think you talk when I'm talking. Oh, you're such a dick. Strange Lex 790, <laughs> good to see you. This is a over one. Jay Verse is here. Thank you. Good to see you, Jay Verse. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. Uh, let me see who else we've got. Sir Chasm is in the house. Sup, ghouls? Hey, Sir Chasm, I sent you a message via Discord. Be sure you get back to me. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion on something, so uh, let me know. Christo Kiernan is here. Good to see you, Christo. Joshua Lee is here. So good evening, everybody. We missed you at the last debate, Josh. But uh, hopefully we'll see you on the next one because we got a good one coming up. Um, Tony Regime is here. So with the boo and obligatory ghost. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Nemo813 says, hello, all you scary people. Definitely. Johnny O being the scariest of them all. Denova28 says, hello, my friends and gentle nerds and, and Johnny. Good to see you, Tanova. Thanks so much I'm for being gentle. here. <laughs> that's why you. That's why you were like third in that list. Yeah, I know. I know. I get it. I'm acknowledging that I'm not gentle. I'm like coarse grade fucking sandpaper. <laughs> just, just ask his wife oh <laughs> travis brown says jail needs to upgrade to the turd polisher 10,000 soon i do uh, this, this bad, episode actually this bad boy is this bad boy is running on its last legs man it's bad it's really really bad uh let me see <laughs> uh travis brown says the 9,000 is breaking down nemo 13 nemo 13 so he needs to upgrade it i do need to upgrade it i do Nine thousand uh, and one. Oh, wait, no, I'm working on the one that needs 9,001. Fuck. <laughs> Claire View is here. Good to see you, Claire. Says hello there all. Good to see you, Claire. Thanks for so much for hanging out tonight. And I see Sherry Tilly is here. Says, hey, everyone. Good to see you, Sherry. Frayed Edges. And I, I, it always, it's, I, that's one thing I don't like. It always spells out the emojis. So, but thank you, Frayed Edges. I appreciate you hanging out tonight. Elizabeth S. as well. Good to see you. Elizabeth. Sarcasm says she ain't no Meryl Streep. That's to be true. fair. It's... That's not that's not a fair comparison, though. <laughs> I mean, Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep, and that's it. True. Josh I did Lee say says... Tony Collette, though. So, and Tony Collette is Tony Collette. She's fucking right. amazing. So. She's she's like a you know national treasure. Yes. Joshua Lee says Raul Julia is the definitive Gomez. In my opinion, I would agree with that. I, the, know, I, I would just say that was good. Luis Guzman, who is like the best of all the Guzmans. Luis Guzman is solid as if you look at like the uh, the original oh, comic iteration yeah. of what Gomez was like Gomez by comparison to Morticia. So I liked that. 
in that he's you know he's short he's kind of he's kind of on the big side he's kind of goofy looking but Morticia is who she is and loves loves him anyway so I I will I will always love Raul and Angelica Angelica Houston because come on that got me <laughs> you know that was chemistry but I did like the Wednesday iterations of them as well uh let me see Archangel's here good to see you Archangel Javier Har as well says he hey not I'm not here oh not. Javier is not here sorry Javier you read not didn't, mean to, didn't mean to call you out I <laughs> I see the name I put it up what the fuck do you want from me Skuma Cat good to see you says hello thanks so much for hanging out tonight and I see that oh and Colin definitely not Cromwell says hello everyone good to see you Colin thanks so much for being here you all rock thank you so much we're doing fantastic tonight Skuma thank you very much for asking so, we have one thing we got to do, and I've got it right here. No, you don't. The official bloodbath coin <laughs> toss. You can't. You're, so, you're a combatant. You can't flip your own coin. That's cheating. Okay, then I won't flip my own coin. We got to get you an official coin. I have an official coin. It's a U.S. minted official coin. That's just another coin. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so... John Aston was also really yes. good as Gomez. John Aston is legend. He was fantastic as Gomez in the in the in the series. I really enjoyed Raul Julia because Raul Julia is just was you know just amazing for uh, before he passed. But the Luis Guzman I think is just more in line with like the original vision of what Gomez looks like. Plus he he handled the part you know great. Um, but yes, it is bloodbath coin toss coin toss time because uh, we got to set up who's going to go. So this month. Did we, and, and, figure it out? Did we actually figure out who was going to be like the combatants other than you, who you're, you're facing? Yes, it is me and Angela. Okay. So it's me versus Angela. And I'm really, really excited to, uh, to do this one. So, ah, uh, I don't know who, I don't know who I'm going to choose, but for all the people listening out there, the bloodbath debate this month is going to be between, it's going to be Belial from the basket case series versus Giorgio from castle freak. So mutated, you know, malformed monsters that hide and taking each other on. So one it's going to be in the basket. The other one comes in a basket. I mean, comes from the basket. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight's bloodbath coin toss, uh, because I uh, because of the last one, I will call it in the air, and the winner of this toss will get to choose which villain they want, and then we'll. So is uh, Angela giving you her choice if she wins the coin toss? She has not given me her choice. Oh, no. Because she hasn't seen, she hasn't watched the Basket K series, and I don't even. I, she's not really a huge handle lotter fan anyway. But I, I, she'll have to watch it if she chooses it. But she hasn't watched Basket Case, and she has definitely not seen Castle Free. I can't say that I blame her. Fuck. <laughs> so gross. Both Listen. of these are so gross. So yeah, whenever yeah. you're ready, Johnny, do the coin toss, and I will call it in the air. This is the. Uh, it kind of looks like a demonic. Look at that fucking guy. His eyes are glowing and shit. But this is your standard <laughs> five cent piece. Okay. Call in the air. Tails never fails. Tails never fails. Oh shit. I dropped. Fuck. <laughs> it slipped off my hand. Sorry. Tails never fails. It stayed the same. It's tails. Yes, what the fuck? Is. How does that work? I don't know. <laughs> it never fails. It never fails. That's it why. It never fails. Um, I don't, I, okay. I honestly don't know who I'm going to choose between these two. Uh, Giorgio from Castle Freak or Belial from Basket Case. 
Holy shit. I'm torn. You know, oh, son of a bitch. You know what? I'm going to decide later. I can't decide wait, wait, right now. I, about no, it. no, no. You I have to decide be, right now? Yeah, you can't be like, oh, I have the freedom to decide. Now our first movie's going to be, no. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Okay. Gene has spoken. All right. You know what? You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm taking Belial for best. I knew you were going to take Belial. Yeah. Fuck. We all knew that. You know why you pretended like you got to think about it. I had to think about it. No, you did. We all knew it was going to be Belial. All right, I'm taking Belial for basket case. Going to be Belial. Oh, Casey it. Cooper says I should flip a coin. Here we go. <laughs> Heads, I'll take Belial, and uh, tails, I'll take Giorgio. You have to flip a coin to decide which son which... of a bitch. It's it's Belial. Okay, it was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll take that. So yes, but uh, thank you. I see that there's the chat itself is also kind of divided between between the two. Um, I think I'm going to win it. I'm going to obviously I'm going to argue it. So, but definitely, if you get the opportunity, the bloodbath debates come out at the top of every month, and then of course, if you are one of our patrons, you get early access to it, so you can hear what went down and. You know, be sure to get your uh, get your predictions in for who's going to win that. Will it be me or Angela? Will it be Giorgio or will it be uh, Belial? So I'm I'm curious. I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Travis Brown says, "Do it again, Jail." I cheated. He cheated to get heads. <laughs> uh, Sarcasm that will be look. He's going to take Belial. We all knew it was going to happen. Okay. Sarcasm says, "Like not Belial." Sarcasm that it, it was his basket case series or the single OG. It will be the villain itself. So across the entire spectrum. So the whole thing. And, and there'll be there's Castle Freak and there's Castle Freak the remake, which is the Don't one that you saw, it. Johnny. Because that. the original one had Jeffrey Combs in it. The second yeah. one that is the, the gruesome remake of that. But so there's two in the there's two in the Castle Freak saga, and then there are three in the basket case franchise. Yes, Casey Goober, we make sure that Angela gets a word in. We absolutely do. Oh, she's not going to be happy with me with having to watch uh, Castle Freak. She's not going to be pleased about uh, that. Don't let her watch the remake. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever want to, you know, if you ever want to, like, you know, see a vagina the same way, don't watch that. <laughs> Fred Edge says, not the first time jail cheated to get head. Whoa. If you don't, if you don't <laughs> cheat, if you don't cheat, you don't want it bad enough. Whoa. <laughs> I've never cheated. It's, and it's after you. that awkwardly It's on pause. you, too. <laughs> I was just delaying this movie. Johnny Awkward. Eugene, what amazingly wonderful movie do we have up first? All right. So we have Cloverfield, which was released July 10th, 2014. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, man. Drew Zalem. Wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you oh. mean Clover? You mean Cloverfield in Israel? Yes. Yeah. Okay. No <laughs> well, there, there, there was a kaiju nephilim in there, so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, really, really straight, yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, released July 10th, 2014. Roll it. Or not. You don't have to. I'm stuck.
That is Jerusalem. It's directed by Dorian Paz and Johan Paz, starring Yale Goblat, Goblas, Jan, Ter, Jan, hang on, Termekin, Daniel Jaden, and Tom Grazini. And basically, you have some tourists that go to Jerusalem to go do some sightseeing, and basically, a biblical apocalypse happens, kind of flying zombies. Yeah, type of right, thing that kind of right. happens, and I want to tell the you right now, things and flying fucking well, since the ass blasters. Okay, it's the stupid <laughs> the ass blasters and Trevor's. So when I so when I made the joke earlier about Cloverfield, uh-huh. it's fucking Cloverfield. You have the giant kaiju that's walking. Yeah, around. like the giant kaiju nephilim, which I which came out of nowhere, and I wasn't anticipating it myself. I was kind of like, this wait, wait, hang on, wait. Movie came out of nowhere. They need to go back to where it came from. So like, eat, like every every aspect because they have to go rescue somebody. So like they in Cloverfield they have to rescue the girlfriend, and then what happens? One of them gets infected. They go down in the tunnel with the infected person, just like Cloverfield happens. Except they didn't have Cloverfield's budget to finish. So like the last part of the movie is just in this dark tunnel. That well, until they run outside, it's just to, to set up the deal where she forever. Well, she goes uh, the pacing of this movie is so bad. It is so fucking slow. It takes forever to set up to get to where we're actually doing the cool shit. There's no real cool shit, but the scary shit, right? It takes forever to get there. And then when we're there, it's it's not good. It's just slow. And it's like, fuck, will you fucking kill these fucking people already? For fuck's sake. Well, the the big I think the 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 primary issue on that one and, and what I think what worked for and worked against the movie in itself was the it was the use essentially this being a POV horror film instead of like a found footage horror film. That's, the, just, the, the, a, that's just a different way of saying this is bear shit versus dog shit. It's still shit. <laughs> So the difference being the difference between POV horror and and found footage horror, they wanted to kind of do something different with the POV standpoint. And that was the introduction of the Google Glass and then the kind of forced deal where she loses her other glasses and is forced to use the Google Glass throughout as uh, the kind of like the, the I guess the the way for the inter- for the audience to interact interestingly with the film itself. So they're trying to do something a little bit different and reinventive when the Google glass was kind of at the height of its popularity. It's like, Ooh, look at this. And then yeah. it turned out it's not really that good anyway, but I found it to be interesting because it served a purpose that I wasn't initially anticipating. I was like, Oh, Google glass. That means that you'll have some like, like, like a heads up display on the deal, a heads up display on the, uh, the film itself. But what I found interesting is that it allowed for exposition in the film where normally that exposition would be would be bogging down the dialogue going on. So you have yeah, not right, oh, but- I caught well, but you also have a combination of of exposition to the audience, but also internal monologue, uh, internal monologue with the primary character that you're following with the POV. So you have what's influencing her moving through this perspective so i enjoyed that from a storytelling perspective i thought it was interesting but it also works against it because in order to establish that it draws the pacing out way too slow fucking thing right it's because we have to get used to we have to get used to the idea of like pop-ups and heads up you know all that shit so essentially what what it does yeah you're right it was a it was an inventive way to change exposition because exposition is usually long and boring and drawn out so therefore it defeated its own purpose because it was long boring and drawn out i was like fuck sake we get it google glass awesome fucking move this shit along already god damn it 
See, I, I was like, it's like they had a good idea, but I think when, they, they had an interesting idea. But the the Paws brothers who have the Paws brothers who have a really good history, a really good filmmaking uh, uh, pedigree, I think they said, oh, this could be intriguing and work for an, for an interesting trope, a way to kind of reinvent the POV. But when they start, when it started going, it was like, oh, damn it. So it was like when you have new technology. You try to yeah. implement that technology and you don't really know what's going to happen once you're in the field working it. And so they had it. It's like, well, how are we going to do this and do this and do this? And then you realize, oh, damn it. In order to convey that exposition across with no action really going on in the scene because they're just looking around Jerusalem. When you have to convey that, you're going to get stuff popping up. And it not only says, oh, cool, I have the exposition there, but it's distracting my eyes away from what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly moving back and forth and with no action happening everything seems to drag so you're caught it's like it's like moving between it's like being interrupted by ads which is really probably you know when you're right. when you're surfing on the internet so i thought i felt it was a cool idea but not really thoroughly f thought out because they really tried to implement it in an interesting way so i don't think this was like uh a slight like ooh, ooh let's jump on this because this is gonna be great and they just you know, threw an idea out there i think they thought about it and then really tried to implement it well but and it's just funny because somebody said, Sister Cat said, fatal error, never fatal, kept working. Obviously not a Microsoft product. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. What you got, Eugene? Well, to see, the thing is, is you get this POV feel, but you don't get the cool camera stuff that goes with it. So when you look at a movie like Hardcore Henry, which came out the following year about the same time, Hardcore Henry it has the POV style, but at the very least, you have these cool camera movements of like during the car chase, and you he's jumping from car to car to motorcycle, and you're mm -hmm. like, man, that's impressive, jumping out of a window, going all the way down. Some uh, parkour style shit. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, some really really impressive stuff. Whereas with this, you don't have any of that. It's just her running. That's it. She's running and she's freaking out. And the problem is, is that the characters aren't likable by any means. Yeah, uh, talk about any single one of these fucking pieces of shit. They're they're like they're they're like a pain in the ass when they come when like the army guys like abandon them and they come back again and she's like fuck you you left me you left me and I'm like I can't blame them I can't blame them they're like this building like hey everybody's probably dead in this building this crawling creatures I gave you two minutes you didn't find them in two minutes I'm gonna go back and try to get out of here. They're also they're also for doing that. They're also military. They they have a mission. They have like orders that they're doing. And if the orders were to get get in there and get out in a specific amount of time, they got to follow it. They're not going to hang around so you go go on your side quest so that they, so that they can so that yeah. then they can carry on with their shit. You know, it's there were there were there were problems in the characterization, and by the time we get to the moment at the very very end when she's using the glass and. You know, out of all of this chaos, runs into the demon that happens to have been her brother who committed suicide. I was kind of like, well, that was fortuitous that you ran yeah. into the one demon who who kind of like get you like gave you a pass so you could get out. It was like, come on, man. Yeah. By that time, of all things, was... though, like I, I want to comment on the story because the story is stupid. It is just bad. It's bad story writing. Storytelling is terrible. Oh, uh, my brother committed suicide. I know how I'm gonna get over it. I'm gonna go to fucking Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? Oh, uh, demons are going to be crawling up out of the ground. Let's get out of the city. Hey, how do you do that? Let's go underground. The fuck, man? Let's make every stupid cabin in the woods decision we can <laughs> to make sure that we get the most carnage. But 
we never get the carnage. We never do because what happens is at the end where they're in the underground area, you have all these characters die because it's pretty much the climax of the movie and you can't see shit. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, it, 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 like way too dark, way too like like just way too dark. And I was, but I am glad this. I will say this: say a small saving grace doesn't save the movie. At least they didn't try to implement some sort of night vision thing because I cannot fucking stand that when night vision implemented completely out of sorts. Now, if one of the See, military dudes had that. brought it with him, if one of the military guys had brought it with him, and then he died, and then the character picked it up and utilized it, that would be different. But if just just throwing it in there is kind of like a oh now it's all creepy because it's all in like you know yeah, that but, electronic you know, green you know you remember you remember days of thunder right yes. yeah oh yes yes yeah. yeah right so there's a scene in days of thunder where tom cruise's character pulls off and then the pit boss comes up and says i want to when you get out there i want you to go hit the pace car he says what hit the pace car why well you've hit everything else here i want you to be perfect <laughs> kind of where I was with the fucking you know, <laughs> with the night vision. Yeah, fucking shit all over the rest of this film. Might as well be perfect. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, it, it boils into it. You are correct. You you were correct in that. I felt it was just a repurposing of the zombie genre. It was because, uh, 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 unlike a movie like Legion, where de- where the demons have a specific characterization that sets them apart from the idea of just like monsters running around spreading infection and you know people transforming into that shit which is ostensibly what this was fucking burn i i which i enjoy i liked that i like the the more uh i the more grounded in their source material like legion did but in this particular one they're mindless monsters running around infecting other people and you know couple that with extremely dumb decisions and in a post-world war z kind of you know reality you see when you see people making smart decisions, you know, as to as, as to what's going on. And then this one is like dumb people doing dumb shit, panicking all over the place. And a trope that was interesting, but implemented, I think, badly because they they didn't really think it through as to how it was going to work from a narrative perspective. There were elements that I enjoyed. I like filming on location because this was filmed on location in Jerusalem. I really enjoy seeing those locations in real life. Because yeah, there's no, magnificent production production value there, so like those narrow little alleyways and little side streets, and and, and the fact that you're out of you're out of your element. I like sure. those those attributes. The problem is that the actresses that they had they, they chose for don't don't utilize that space like they should. So that goes to the characterization yeah. as well. So well, part of that is because it's a repurposed found footage, and then you know so you have all these beautiful locations. And Jerusalem is a very beautiful city from everything that i've seen i would love to have seen it done better and not oh well we're going to do the google glass which is really just a again this is just another way of doing found footage so you don't have to worry about good cinematography you can just blame it on the fact that oh it's a stylistic decision well yeah your stylistic decision is fucking shit don't and do you don't have, you don't have to worry about writing the dialogue either right exactly. they, they, it was like oh infographic pops up gives information audience needs we don't need right. the characters to talk about it so right. So, yeah, I mean, I really wish they would have gone with a different visual style. You could have still used the technology and whatnot, the Google Glass type thing sparingly. I think it would have worked better. It would have definitely picked the fucking pace up. But I would, I would I have liked to have seen a more cinematic uh, the shame, vision of the this. Sh- the shame is I really, really, I, I what, what was missing is I think what the Paz brothers decided that they didn't want. Because when you're in Jerusalem, and then they they actually touch on something interesting, which was Jerusalem syndrome, 
which I found was is an actual phenomena, yeah. which yeah, I yeah. found to be really, really interesting. But they spend almost zero time on it. The thing that was missing from this being that this is essentially somebody, you know, Travis Brown says, so it's a biblical version of World War Z, kind of. You know, yeah. like the gate of hell, there's a gate of hell in Jerusalem. It's opened up and these demons are coming out and they're, they're infecting people and turning them into demons and such. But the thing that makes a biblical movie interesting, especially a biblical apocalyptic movie interesting, is the discussions that are being had between people regarding the events that are going on. You're going, even in the face of the apocalypse, there are still going to be skeptics. There are going to be hardcore believers. Ideologies are pinpointed. And that leads to interesting dialogue options between the different characters depending upon each individual's ideology if your characters are thought through enough the problem is we didn't have that that would have been interesting to fill that out instead of having google glass popping up you know random information it's like oh okay now i now i i have more information on that but to have so like the, the characters is, is interacting i thought, I thought they were going to go into that when they went to the church for that one right moment. right and i was like oh they're going to talk about the religious implications of what's going on and they never did <laughs> nope it was a perfect opportunity to it as yeah. well it's like okay we're here we're we're good to regroup now before we while we try to come up with a plan let's try and reconcile some shit and you've got like the atheist soldier and the believer soldier and other individuals from, you know, from different parts of the world and how they're trying to like reconcile the fact that monsters are flying through the air giant kaiju nephilim is walking through the streets how do we do this and that never happens it never happened. It all it all boils down to just conflict. Oh, you made a bad decision. This was your blah 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 yada yada. What are we gonna do? Panic yada. yada. Let's take the tunnels. That sounds like a great fucking idea. No, mm. no. <laughs> but not, not to mention, and even going back to that scene in the church, like this movie telegraphs so many different things because as soon as she was standing by the window, you're oh fucking hell, you know, Eugene, like, right in the middle of the point. You just, just freeze. You just freeze up on it. You were like, you were fucking full steam. I was like, yes, Eugene is going. And then, <sighs> am I back? Am <laughs> yeah, I, am yes, I back? you're okay. back. <laughs> and but the thing is, this movie telegraphs so many different things because, like, when she's standing at the window in the church and she's looking at the bars, and you're just like, and she's just standing there, like, oh, yep, yeah, this is where she gets it right here. This is just this is where I'm not even paying attention to what she's saying because I know something bad's gonna happen to her right there in this moment, and boom, she gets infected. Like, right. it's just. It's it's there's nothing new. There's nothing original. There's nothing anything about this film. Yeah. Yeah. Tony regime says even Ghostbusters had the religious discussion about the dead coming back. And it was a brief moment, but it was necessary because mm -hmm. you had uh, Ray who was like a, he believed in the paranormal, but to a to a degree, to a scientific degree, to where concepts like God and all these other things. But Winston a steadfast believer like he believes these things you know so we have two different uh two different you know two characters facing the same obstacle and both interpreting it differently and that brief little conversation when they're in the car and how you yeah you know, winston is like you know comes up to this point and even ray is kind of like okay i'm uncomfortable let's uh let's just music and shit mm -hmm. so and i like that because well, it helps yeah, because build it, our characters there was conflict inside of of ray because it was a religious conversation right. that see what people don't understand when you have good writing that's an example of really good writing because that scene is like a two three minutes long right but it, it's it's a very fast scene and you get some characterization of both winston and ray winston serving as like the voice of reason in this talking about hey look you know maybe the reason why we've been so busy is because the dead have been rising from the grave. And then right. that's when Ray puts it together. Like, holy shit, 
maybe he's right. And all that happens right there, two people talking, driving a car, two, three minutes tops. It's a good moment. Great mm-hmm. moment, great writing, and then you have shit like this movie where you have all <laughs> this stuff. And- well, and that's the problem is that everybody, the characters are written so self-absorbed yes. that they can't think beyond their own, their like like what they're currently experiencing, which is aggravating to that respect. Now, I understand right. from the military guys because they're military; they're trained to think in a, in, in, well, in okay moments of conflict. A couple of those characters, yeah. like peppered in, but what because those, those allow those allow walls, those allow right. barriers for your other characters to bounce off of. Which mm-hmm. which which creates that which creates that that momentum, but it wasn't there because they 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 lean too heavily into the trope. Liam Wakefield, good to see you. Uh, says, do you reckon that they put the action underground to hide the special effects or the acting? Most likely to hide the special effects because uh, up close and personal, the demons didn't look all that great. At a distance in shadow, they look kind of cool, but when they're up in your face, it was just kind of like, oh, they're essentially they're zombies. And Liam, I sent you a message. Be, uh, be sure to get back to me because you won a trivia prize, and we need to get your shipping details, bud. Thanks so much for popping in. It's good to see you tonight. Cindy Sue as well. Good to see you. Cindy Sue says, what is Jerusalem syndrome? Jerusalem syndrome is an acute psychotic state observed in tourists and pilgrims who visit Jerusalem. And the main symptom of it is identification with a character from the Bible and exhibiting behaviors, which seem to be typical for that character. Typically yeah. it's uh, being overwhelmed by the by the extreme iconography of the city and basically inducing a psychotic state, which has been documented. It happens. Yeah. I which I found to be intriguing, but they mentioned like maybe it's Jerusalem syndrome. Blah 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 blah. Okay, we'll move on from that point. And we're like, done with that. Yeah. Yeah. What the I, fuck? Uh, <laughs> Everything <laughs> interesting. They moved right by. Right. Just fucking fly by some interesting <laughs> shit. I was like, well, enough of that scene. And then they, it's like okay, well, it's like you're you're in a helicopter tour of let's say Hawaii, and you just fucking like <laughs> all this cool shit you missed. We're gonna land in Nebraska. Yep. Sorry if you live in Nebraska. That fucking state is boring. It's called a flyover state for a reason. Okay. If you like corn, great. If not, mm. yep. Definitely. All right. <laughs> I want to ask the audience what is your favorite POV horror film? None of them. And we can we can accept we can accept kind of like a found footage POV style. Yeah, I think it would have to be like it would have to be like found footage like Cloverfield, but not found footage like the Poughkeepsie tapes. Kind of thing. Because Poughkeepsie tapes isn't like it has some POV moments and then some like not POV moments. Well, the Poughkeepsie the Poughkeepsie tapes is all is all found footage because it's them looking at the footage after the after the events. And so the, you know, that, that when they're scrolling through the old stuff like VHS. Is no, found no, footage. I mean yeah. it's a it's a found footage film, right. but I wouldn't necessarily say one hundred percent a POV, a POV horror film. Mm. So like POV is where the where we are with the action as it's taking place in the story itself. So so like it comes up, it's like like this one we're following the character along. So if like anything like Hardcore Henry was or hard was a Hardcore Henry, yeah, was yeah, yeah, if that Henry. was a horror, if that was a horror film. Then that would be a POV. That would be like that would be a yeah. POV. I would do like Blair Witch Project is like a POV, but like Paranormal Activity isn't because it has like surveillance footage. It's see, I would say P- I would say Paranormal Activity is a POV because it's happening. Well, no, no, it's because it's it, it. Well, it technically it's found footage, but it's not. It's that's not right POV. because it's the footage found after the dis- after the deaths of the family, the deaths of the family members, and the disappearance of the wife. That's right. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to make a public service announcement. Mm-hmm. These are gross. 
What what are those, what are those be, bean what? Bean boozled. What the yeah. fuck is that? They're spicy jelly beans. Spicy jelly beans. Why would yeah. you get spicy jelly beans? My daughter bought them for me and it's like, hey, eat these. You'll like them. They're not good. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Sir Kev says, Sir Kev says wreck. And Denova 28 also says wreck. <clears throat> Spanish zombie film. I, I feel like wreck is just a correct answer. I feel like I feel like the wait, wait, there was a there was a correct answer, and it was this one right here. This is no D, this sarcasm D, none of the above. above. Shame. Correct answer. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's just a lazy film. It's a it's lazy, it's lazy filmmaking. (laughs) It just it it really all right. Enough enough about this one. Yeah, let's go on to something that's even more unoriginal. Oh, oh, (laughs) come on, man. This one was entertaining. Man, it's just it, we have an interesting selection today. <clears throat> All right, <laughs> that's what we're gonna call it. Yeah, <laughs> the next film that we have, the next film we have released, July twelfth, nineteen eighty five. I don't need the turd polisher nine thousand for an eighty slasher film. Yes, you do. No, you don't, because eighty slashers are eighty slashers are immune to the turd polisher. They're I amazing in their own slashers. right. I do, I do, I do love eighty slashers when they're done right. It doesn't mean they're all good. <laughs> Released July 12th, 1985. We have Cemetery of Terror. Let's check out this trailer. And yes, yeah, someone mentioned earlier that this, that this episode of Weekend Horror is like a trip around the world because first we were in Jerusalem and now we're going to Mexico. Yep. So the challenge was going to be name all the ripoffs, but JL didn't have any part of it. So. <laughs> all right that was the trailer for cemetery of terror directed by ruben galindo jr written by ruben galindo jr and carlos valdemar and starring hugo stiglitz i fucking love the name jose gomez raul maraz renee cardona the third servando mazetti andre garcia jr and maria rebecca so um the film essentially follows a group of teens <laughs> Quick, hide in the barn behind the saws. <laughs> so the, the the film follows a group of teens who are looking to go, you know, basically looking to party. And they go to this abandoned house. And, you know, while partying there, they discover a book. And, of course, they read from the book. And then they decide to steal a body from the morgue the in, order to, in order to attempt a resurrection, which is just the worst of possible ideas on Halloween. And so they do this, and but unfortunately, the body they, they wound up stealing was the body of a maniac, Satanist, serial killer, monster guy. And of they course, resurrect him, and of course, yeah, absolutely, of course, really. uh, hilarity ensues. Or, uh, you know, as Julie Eugene says, shit gets real. Out of uh, all the bodies you're gonna find in the cemetery, you just happen upon. Oh, the ones in the morgue. It's like, oh, they got like, like they go in the morgue, in the morgue and it's, yeah, like, it's like, it's like, it's like the fucking like. Like the meat shop, man. There's like yeah. like 15 bodies in there, and the one they choose is the homicidal satanic maniac. <laughs> so if you ever think you have bad luck, yes, right. like the worst there of all possible luck. <laughs> so I found it okay. So I guess unlike Johnny, I really, really enjoyed this one. I saw all of the inspirations. Obviously, there were many inspirations filmed that they pulled from. I loved the I, but I loved. To, like the two things. I mean, come on, man. 
what they take from Friday the 13th. What didn't they take from? Phantasm. (laughs) Children shouldn't play with dead things. Sherry Tilly brought it up. Evil Dead. I mean, come on, dude. This was a this was a slasher film. I was waiting. That turned into that turned into a running around with fucking finger knives. Okay, this was a slasher film that turned into a satanic monster film that turned into a fucking zombie film. The movie is awesome, and plus, I I just love the fact that that it's in Spanish. That lent that lent an energy to it that I was not expecting. So there there's things that are solid about the film. Not to mention the practical effects are on point. The zombies all look yeah. the zombies yeah. all look fantastic and the killer what's you wasn't your typical like malformed like like malformed monster and shit but he was a big motherfucker and he had like you know oh I'm going to claw you to death like a giant bear so I really kind of dug that it's just somewhat new you know I, oh, I just enjoyed that the reference I'm going to claw you to death okay. Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> actually more like that the the South African horror film that we talked about um, where the dude had the razors built into the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, that had the awesome third act. And this one also had a really, really strong third act. I really enjoyed it, despite the fact that you can say, oh, I see where they got that, I see where they got that, I see even a little bit of John Carpenter in there. But, you oh, know, there's, oh, yeah, Sam Raimi, John Carpenter, right. uh, Toby Hooper. Uh, I mean, all... Don Coscarelli, the, you've got it all, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, all the things that came... And I think the really, really the reason why we don't see a whole lot of Nightmare and Elm Street is because I think both of those movies were in production at the same time. Because Elm Street came out in what eighty? Oh, eighty four. Eighty four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember if it was late eighty five or early eighty four or late later. That's why I'm saying it's yeah. probably probably the South African slasher film yeah. that we talked about. Ah, for the love of me, I can't remember that. Movie, I can't remember but it, name it either. So the movie isn't awful so much as that it's just a big giant ripoff of a lot of other movies. And if you can get past that, like the, the special effects, the the practical effects, the blood and guts, they're great. You know, that's your typical 80s schlock. That's generally going to be good. It's hard to fuck up 80s slashers when we're talking about blood and guts because they didn't fucking hold, pull any punches. You want guts? Here's some guts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, on the platter. that's the thing. Like, it's a fun movie. Uh, it's not going to bring anything original and it's not going to be something that I think is even very memorable. I think it's just, it just gets lost into that oh. eight, that eighties. Um, just so many things have come out at that time. It's just mm. kind of lost in the show. Especially slasher film. Yeah. Yeah. Especially slashers. And, and it's fun. It's it was the de- the demon. It was the demon mm. was the South African film. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's fun kind of thing. It's like, it was good. good kind of neat. It was nice to watch a horror film in Spanish. Um, but other than that, like that's kind of it. Yeah, it's not one of those movies that I'm going to go to people like, hey, if you really want to get a taste of '80s slashers, go watch, you know, the Evil Nightmare on Friday Street. I'm not going to know. I'm not going to watch that. We're going to go watch Evil Dead. I'm going to go watch Nightmare on Elm Street. Go watch, you know, the good shit. Right, <laughs> Liam Wake goes and says, "Stand still while I kitty cat slash you." Ah, <laughs> roar! <laughs> I like. Okay, so okay, the, here's the thing that that gets it for me, and and what I think Eugene may agree with me on this one, even though Johnny may not. In this film, it was in this film for me. It was the it was the pacing, and this film is excellent in showing the power of pacing when doing when when shooting a movie a movie of this style. The one thing I dug the most is that your typical American slasher. 
has your specific beats that you need to hit. Typically, the moments leading up to kills, exposition in between kills, and then your your eventual body reveal, and then the right. big showdown with the with the killer. So you have specific beats in the American formula, but in this particular movie, we don't we we hit those beats, but not in any specific order. And I really enjoyed the fact that they never slowed down the pacing of the film in order to fill it in with exposition so that the audience can can follow along with the characters. I like the fact that the that the film didn't treat the audience like hey, we've got to, we got to let them catch up. We weren't treated like idiots. We can follow along and we can watch the movie and see what's happening and form our own conclusions while the movie keeps this nice solid pace all the way throughout. Even in that it was like it's almost for example like you have that moment where that where there's supposed to be that lull before you engage the fight with the big killer at the end. Fuck no zombies we need to get that shit in there so the, the there's consistent action moving from part to part even the moments when the detective and the detective who took down the bad guy and him and uh when the cops are sitting there having discussions and shit all of those lead to additional action pieces to additional uh material so i really enjoyed that the pacing never slowed down which i dug because you rarely get to see that because you always expect those lulls going into either jump scares or going into like a big kill sequence, but we never got that. It's always kind of like boom into a big one, end into the next big one, next big one, next big one, until eventually the very end when you know, unfortunately, our detective I think is you know, I think is fucking uh, possessed by um, Devlin, who is now you know possessing yeah. him. So I really liked that it never stopped or never slowed down constantly giving us something interesting to look at and in the last second when there's like no more real time we have we have some time to fill have this motherfucker start resurrecting the dead i like that part <laughs> really really good too because it adds another element so i thought it was smartly done and well paced by comparison to the films that were coming out at the time i mean if you just go into it, it's just all rise that's it just all rise right Straight i was gonna say it's it, 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 and the thing is, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, if you're gonna make a horror action film, then you just keep the action coming. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. You just we'll just keep up it, up it, up it, up it. We're just gonna see how much we can cram in and throw into the film. As I said, it's entertaining. It's yeah, it's it's definitely you know it's 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 meant there. There weren't any super amounts of scary moments. I do enjoy the fact they put the money where it needed to go. Um, Casey Group says, Oh, hey, got to go. My notification just told me. Oh, <laughs> very oh, thank you, YouTube. We appreciate that support. Yes. Extra J, good to see you. The fucking show. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> good to see you, Extra J. Thanks so much for being here. Um, but I, I I dug it more than I thought that I would. I was like, okay, it's a it's foreign horror, so maybe there's gonna be something there. But I was like, oh, it, it caught it got my attention and it and it didn't let go, which I enjoyed where they were gonna go with it. And it does kind of have the 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 you know oh the ambiguous ending oh the bad guy has just possessed the hero now and now it's you know the ambiguous ending but i really enjoyed the pacing is what made it in this one smart filmmaking on behalf of smart on behalf of galindo he's got a really really good uh filmmaking background and i liked this kind of like for his foray into horror films not to mention that at the around the same time there was another film called um grave robbers which came out in or that came out a little bit uh, later uh, in, in 1989, which kind of took from this and repaired a little bit of what was done, like some of the missteps, which was made it even better. And that's why this was a good inspiration film, even though it took from a bunch of stuff beforehand. It also further inspired films further down the line. 
Yeah, sure it did. Now, did you know this thing was shot in Brownsville? Down in Brownsville, Texas? Yeah. I didn't know that. It says yeah. in the credits. Shot on location in Brownsville, Texas, which I thought was cool. I thought it was a little, uh, the nice little border town down there. I thought that was kind of neat. Wow, that's cool. That's how they captured that that that, that pervasive sense of dread from Bo being in Mexico all the time. Yeah, because you're actually in Texas. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's actually in Texas. <laughs> I like I I like shooting. Uh, I love a film that shoots on location that goes down and tries to get an environment, shoot in an environment that allows that brings that aesthetic to a film i enjoy like those yeah. you know, that wide open those wide open areas small little town everything is flat and i really i really enjoy it when they when they take the next step and they go there you can always you can always fabricate it in a studio or go to an area that's kind of that but i really enjoy it when they go out there and they really do it and they try to capture that because you know your environment is a, is a character in and of itself and i like that they le- it lends itself to the film uh, appropriately they i like that they, uh galindo did that that was a smart decision made. I mean, that's the thing. I t- totally agree in terms of getting the actual scope and getting the feel of the space. I'm I'm a I'm always a fan of shooting on location versus studios. Um, I think you just get kind of a better output, a better feel for the space. And though sometimes shit. it can suck dealing with like see so, you know, a weather and you got a transport yeah. crew and gear and yeah. all the other and kinds of stuff. It's a hundred thousand degrees in Texas, so and it's 100,000 degrees in Texas. But a lot of times you can get a really good output than trying to fake it in the studio. And Brownsville, being so close to the Gulf and everything, being like where you're at, you can imagine that those the actors in those zombie outfits, as good as they were, were fucking miserable because it is humid as shit down there. And... Like it was like it was like oh although the god fuck the set pieces were amazing where where Galindo chose to shot wide his close ups his Dutch angles I thought everything was so solid just it really well planned out you know smart there were so many good things going for the film even though it was it, to a degree derivative there was a lot of smart things and if you're going to be derivative be derivative intelligently which is what I think this was which is why I think it, this, this film holds up. I so, uh, appreciated this one a lot more than that first fucking thing we watched. I'm very curious. Was is there any for you? Is there was there anything lost in translation via from the subtitles to um, what the characters are actually saying? I'm not fluent. I'm not fluent speaker of Spanish by any means, but I will say that most Spanish to English is pretty close. I mean, it's almost there are some things like structure wise. Um, and if you get into that, like literal translations, that's where you're, that's where you kind of get fucked up. Right. So when you go with, uh, you know, like when you take a phrase and instead of saying, well, that phrase says this specifically, no, what does that phrase mean? And that's kind of where, uh, the English to Spanish works when you have people that understand if you're going to translate, if you're going to have somebody hire, you can hire somebody to do your translations, make sure they speak both languages fluently mm-hmm. because they'll have a, they'll have an understanding. And then, you know, you want to make sure your colloquialisms are correct. Like if you're going from the Queens Spanish to English, it's going to be different than going from, you know, Cuban Spanish to English or even uh, Mexican Spanish to English. But this one here, I think it was pretty close. I don't think there's anything that was, there was nothing that was weird from uh-huh. what I saw. 
Cindy Sue says, Brownsville, small little town. I was there a year after this film. Oh, there in, in 1986. Very cool. Oh, well, cool. Brownsville, I say Brownsville kind of small because Brownsville, uh, last I checked, has a, has a population of like 180,000 people, or maybe 190,000 people. Not in 86. Not, not then. Definitely not in 86. That's 180. <laughs> that's like 190,000 now. And I, I say that probably by comparison to living in the DFW airport, growing up in San Diego, and I've lived in you know big metropolitan cities my you know almost all my life, except for now. Now I'm in a very small town, but I, live I in a town that's population six and two. <laughs> so tiny by comparison, lots of wide open spaces, lots of lots of big open areas that you can go and you can run around in, lots of excellent uh aged production value such as like the old cemetery and you know those big those big kind of like ranch homes that are out there with you know big wide open areas that you can that you can have your actors run around is always fantastic always makes for good uh good production value so but the question i want to ask the audience and there are a few of them out there you may not have seen them but there are a few similar films like grave robbers but i'm curious as to what you think is the best mexican slasher film mexico has a fantastic array of horror films that they've added to the genre and they all have their own unique energy and unique um additions to the genre which i think make it very very special so let us know what you think is the best mexican slasher film down in the comments below or weekendhorror at gmail.com or of course here in the live chat and uh i'd like to hear what they say i really enjoyed this one although grave robbers i thought did it did it slightly better just because the production value was a little bit better they basically took uh, took this one and just you know corrected all the mistakes and improved the production values a little bit but nonetheless this one was a really really solid one um, everybody is saying machete. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna, I was just about to ask if uh, like Desperado fucking. Died. And sadly, Danny Trejo was not in this, but I could see How Cemetery the of. Fuck, they made a movie without Danny Trejo that has anything to do with Mexico. Beyond me, maybe he wasn't old <laughs> enough at the time. Which doesn't... I could yeah, see he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I could see Cemetery of Terror being remade with Danny Trejo. Fuck yes. <laughs> I don't know if I want to have another one of these here uh, jelly beans. You just keep not. eating them. You just keep eating it's them. Just... <laughs> they're just they're gross. It's not. I mean, they're, sure, they're, they're, they're really thick, but they just don't taste good. You know what I mean? Then why do you keep eating them? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet. It's like whenever you know, it's like whenever you get pain, you're like, "Fuck, did that really hurt?" Yeah, kind of. Yeah, you know what you, you, know you, know what you remind again? me of? You know what you remind you what you're reminding me of? Uh, back in film school, uh, when I was like, I was, you know, when you're, when you're forced to like live with your friends and you're pretty much just, you know, you communal living and shit. <laughs> I had a friend who brought home these chips. Um, uh, they were like chili lime. Uh, they, they're not chicharrones, but it, it, it's like, it's a similar sounding name. It's like a red and green and yellow bag. Uh -huh. And they're like, you know, it's, it's weird, but they're like, they're chili lime. And I tasted them and I've, I started eating. It was like, oh, cause there's nothing else to eat. And so I eat these things. I'm like, oh, those are, those are funky. It's like, huh. And then by the time I'm done, I'm like oh, three God. quarters of the way through it. And I've eaten like three quarters oh. of the bag itself. And like, why do you keep eating them? I have no idea, man. It's just like this morbid curiosity. It's like, it oh. could get better or it, it all could also get worse. So you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Josh oh, says, Josh Lee says they're gross. Nom 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 nom. <laughs> hey, Josh Lee, they weren't pork know. rinds. I can't remember the names of these damn things, but they were like a uh it was some kind oh. of chip. So 
Oh, the Sir flavors K- are terrible. <laughs> Sir Kazan says, I am for a remake. Write up a treatment and give Trejo a call. He'll do anything. True, this though. is true. This is true. And Cindy Sue says, oh, yeah, he was out of prison at the time. He was. Oh, yeah. good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Oh. oh nice. Man. All right, Johnny. And as I think Sir Chasm said, the uh, the special effect, the uh, the practical effects in this were were solid, but they were shit compared to this next film. So that's true. Johnny, why don't you? That is very true. That is except you know, yeah. understatement of the year. Yeah, I'm trying to get the taste of that. I don't know what the fuck that was supposed to be. Jesus, God, that was was it was it was it just like cinnamon or no 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 I think it was supposed to be Carolina Reaper but it did not taste like a Carolina Reaper tasted like (laughs) Carolina butthole yeah a Carolina butthole a Carolina butthole after it ate a Carolina Reaper (laughs) maybe oh it's just ugh it's just nasty all right you should have put some some mayonnaise on it would have made it better. (laughs) <laughs> that face that oh what happened we lost jail again fuck <laughs> that's the face yeah earwax casey cooper it tastes like fucking earwax <laughs> but All i saw right, you so i say. saw you eating the 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 harry potter jelly beans no you've had no. those no i have but no the ones you saw me eat on those were the same company so i should have fucking known better uh jelly jelly <laughs> Jelly Belly makes good jelly beans, except when they're doing their like their bean boozled shit. And these are supposed to be like these are the hot ones, and they just taste gross. Um, but the other ones I had were the regular bean boozled, where it was one's a good one and one's a bad one. Eugene's had them. I, I gave Eugene one. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's a 50-50 chance. Like bullshit. I had one good one out of like. 20. It was not 50 50. Well, why would you subject yourself to something like that? You, like, you buy a box of candy, it's like 50% of it's going to be good, 50% is going to make you hate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. 50% there. of it you're really going to enjoy. The other 50%, it'll be like watching the end of the mist. <laughs> just just on that. repeat. <laughs> I enjoyed the end of the mist. I'm talking to you guys. It's such a good ending. Anyway, uh, now that that rabbit tangent whole thing is done. <laughs> Uh, obviously we're talking about the, is it French? Is it French? French Yeah. French French. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the French film inside from 2007. Get your wretch buckets ready. Fuck. You know, this one's fucking intense. I just want to note that there are a lot of words that showed up there that had a lot of letters. And you only pronounce like two of them. <laughs> Fuck the French language. Uh, we're inside or à l'orientier. I don't fucking speak French. That's uh, a 2007 French horror film directed by Julian Mari uh, and Alexandre Dumas. Um, and starring <laughs> <laughs> Bustillo. Uh, starring Beatrice uh, Daly, Allison uh, Paradis. Written by Bustillo. Um, it's a Christmas Eve type thing because who doesn't like Christmas time horror? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's four months after a pregnant woman, Sarah, survives a car crash that kills her husband. Fuck. That's what Hellboy started a movie, by the way. Um, and with being depressed about her husband's death, um, she 
kicks everybody out of her life essentially and then this fucking crazy lady shows up and says hey let me help you out with your life stabby stabby wants, bloody bloody wants to open her gift early he wants well no because yeah. baby, <laughs> right? so baby needs to get out of there but she's like mm, snip snip bitches fuck shit really does get real in this one like, yeah <laughs> like really brutal you know how uh, I said like there, there there are words in French that have a lot of letters that you don't say any of them? Well, the French treat buckets of blood this way. I have a lot of buckets of blood, but they use all of them. Fuck. They absolutely do. I do I great do admit. Special effects. That's all I'm gonna say about this movie because I don't like reading films, but I will say this one is the the, the gore effects were terrific. I would have to say that this is that given given the high level of production value that went into this and the just the savage brutality of the film, um, you know, you could watch it with the French or you could watch it with the subtitles, and either way, you're going to be able to follow what's going on quite well. It everything is conveyed in the sense that uh there's that, not a whole lot of speaking. Yeah, that's true. Yes, like, ex so, exactly. Yeah. And what is said and what is said, I think convey you can you you can pick up on the emotions well enough, that's and everything is so per, is so phenomenally acted. Well, like the, the one thing I will say, uh, I can't, I cannot stress this enough about French filmmaking specifically. They do not waste dialogue ever. No. If it's if if, they, if it's spoken, like I imagine you can get, I imagine that whole script for that film we looked at was probably as thick as these 10, 15 pieces of paper, because there's not a whole lot of dialogue. What dialogue is is there is extremely important to the story. It's not something they're going to be like, "Oh, hey, how's the weather?" Oh, you know, kind of rain on me today. No, there's none of that fucking bullshit. They get into and they say, "We're gonna, you know what? Dead husband, car crash, boom, fucking do it." That's why we're starting the movie. Okay, uh, kick the mom out, fuck her off, and then get the killer lady in there as quick as possible. That's how we're doing this shit. They do not waste any time. It. It's hard. Okay, so obviously, uh, a film like this is is one of the more extreme, intense ones. It's a brutal and unflinching, infl unflinching horror film. Doesn't leave anything to the imagination, and truly descends into the depths of both human desperation and human depravity. And of course, the the will to survive. I have to say, there were there were there were moments in this I thought were phenomenally shot. The cinematography was great. Um, and I loved what really sold it was the lighting aspects. It was how each individual area of the house played into a different uh, scope of, of essentially uh, what was going on, not only with the psycho, the, the, the woman who's coming to steal the baby, but also with the victim as she's trying to survive. She's hold herself up in the bathroom. Um, I thought every moment it was gripping. And this is the beauty of what I call the what is called the uh french new way french new extreme so the the point and purpose of a film to this degree and this is a the the kind of like big thing that was interesting about this one to examine a plight like this there now the inspiration of this film it was an event that actually took place it was a woman that actually did this in real life and that was the inspiration behind the you know this this movie was an actual event where a woman did this to another woman and so um, in this one, it examines that to a degree and shows you the, the, the brutality of it in a sense that creating art that is contra, uh, it's hard to say it's even controversial because it's so reality based, but 
it's the point that kind of like being aware of that is what's important and the dialogue that it, that it generates from that. And I found that that was the need uh, where this film really comes across is bringing that to the forefront and then examining the motivations of like this apparently unmotivated killer and then the reveal that she was the woman in the other car at the mm-hmm. at the uh, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the film. So there was a life lost in that accident other than her husband. And that's what's triggered this whole event. Mm-hmm. And so, and, uh, you know, hinted at as well, you know, and I got to say a little bit of foreshadowing when she inadvertently, when she meets her at the doctor's office, she's sitting right there smoking a cigarette next to her. And they have that brief conversation where that one-sided conversation and it's like, Oh, and then you have that, that back and forth right there, which is, you know, foreshadows what's going on. They, the different mentalities of these two women, one who's lost a child, and then what one who's lost a child that she who was single and lost a child that she desperately wanted, and one who's lost her husband and has seemingly lost all interest in the fact that she's about to have a baby because of that loss. So these two worlds colliding is just so uh, absolutely brilliant and kind of like heartbreaking in that. Um it's really that the violence in and of itself kind of speaks for you know, the violence speaks for itself in that. And that's what makes a film like this compelling. Well, see, this is the thing about when you look at extreme new wave of French films. When you look at films like Inside, you look at films like Martyrs, you look at films like High Tension, you look at these um, these films that's come about, is these films are designed to get a reaction. Mm-hmm. And they, they there's no holds bar in it. You're not necessarily guaranteed the happy ending because this film doesn't have a happy ending. No, you're not guaranteed. You are guaranteed to react to it. And we've talked about with films before. It's like, what's the worst thing about a film? Uh, worst thing about a piece of art in general is apathy, where someone's like, eh, Could whatever. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I, I don't care. And French New Wave basically says, no, nope. you're gonna feel something. You're either gonna be grotesque or you're going to marvel at the gore or you're going to it's going to sear into your brain it's going to make you flinch it's going to we are going to get a reaction out of you and you know but i think that's french filmmaking in general right if you look at french films even outside look at la femme nikita you look at um french inspired films they're very much like that we're going to put you in uncomfortable situations whether you like it or not because you're going to think about it the French New Wave, they just like, nah, we're gonna fucking ramp that shit up to a bazillion. Fuck you. Here's this, here's some here's some blood and guts. Yeah, like yeah. this is what you want to get. Every kill is going to be gory. Yes. There, there's not this like, oh, they, they died quietly off screen. Yeah. No, you're nope. the side of your head blown off. <laughs> even the guy who died, uh, even the guy who died off screen, you get to see the aftermath of that shit. Like, no, look, this is his head question. Cool. Mm. Yeah, there, there was so there. I mean, this one was visceral to me. I mean, if, if there was ever a movie that made me that made me yell at the screen a number of times, because just I, I and I and I get that it is fucking. I, uh, I get that it's Fran that it's that it's you know it's in France. I get that this is a a a French film, and they 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 do things operationally different they're from like both a law enforcement standard and from you know a number of things are different there but i could not help but be screaming at the film because you identify so much with the lead actress and i have to give it to her um fucking uh uh Allison Paredes uh, per- Allison Paredes 
as Sarah was fucking phenomenal in this from beginning to end through her entire arc when she finally, especially the sequence in the end when it takes place in the kitchen. And I, it's my favorite sequence in this entire film is when she's got her in the kitchen and they're facing off and she manages to crack her with a freaking, uh, uh, the toaster. And then she, uh, is standing above her all like, you know, superior smoking a cigarette. She hits her with the fucking, the fucking spray and sets her on fire. I have, I very rarely do you get the opportunity to identify with a protagonist to this degree, especially in her arc going from her depression and looking for any kind of thing to hold on to. And then boiling down to this, you know, that mama bear energy that she finally found, you know, in that moment, you know, to, to go to the, to the extent of having to trach herself in order to survive and carry on like this and just and then but you wind up screaming you scream at the officers for the mistake for, for the for the the panicky decisions that they make you scream at her for not yelling at specific moments you scream at you know oh and when she has that fucking like spear thing she makes it she you know, like that and i'm like fucking kill this bitch fucking kill this bitch and unfortunately these things you know they don't play out that way because it doesn't because real life doesn't work that way all the time we'd like to think as an audience that in given situations we would react a certain way in the best way possible mm -hmm. but the beauty of <laughs> tony regimes is the bitch hit me with a toaster yes yes you know killer reflexes on this man on this fucking maniac um but reality doesn't work that way that's why that's why for me french new wave is it's important as far as because a lot of people decry it as being you know i think it goes beyond exploitation i think it's the the most brutal the brutal aspects of reality that we never want that people don't want to deal with but this is what's interesting this is where the conversation really i think is is intriguing because it's the i we're an american audience being american having a different fundamental ideology for the for the like the the birth of our very freaking country like the the essentially the puritanical foundation of our of our country itself France, no such foundation. Okay. France, much, much older country, long had these conversations and long dealt with this shit and willing to look at life in, from a perspective that American audiences aren't. And that's why I think that often American audiences are not as fair to films like this because this art is the shit that pushes boundaries and forces you to look at certain things that this is what this is and you need to deal with this and reconcile this instead of just like poo-pooing it away. Oh, that's just exploitative trash. That's just blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, it's not. Not to this degree. It's like, there's not excessive like sexuality or anything of that nature. The right. violence is extreme, but it's not It's not showy to the degree like, oh, like the, like the machete goes up. Oh, and then splat, you know. It doesn't go to that degree. This is real. This is essentially real people committing acts upon one another, and right. that's something See, that we have to address. We can't run from it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mistake this film for being exploitative because there's not an exploitation going on there. It's not like fucking Eli Roth movies where there's no reason for this woman to be shaving her legs right now so she can shave her skin off. Right. That's that's an exploitation. Right. Right. Um the the kills and the gore and whatnot that happen in inside serve a more story purpose than just oh we're you know what we needed to hit somebody over the head with a toaster just because we needed to show somebody's head caved in just because we needed to have guts coming out just because like no there's a reason right there this right here these are the the 
the I don't want to say logical aspects or the logical uh, what it, it ha- everything is happening because it it it, it serves the story. There's there's a storytelling element there that this does not um, detract from. The blood and guts don't detract from the story. It enhances it. It amplifies it. That's why I wouldn't say that this is this is exploitative. Yeah, I never got an exploitative feel from right. it. What you're showcasing is the extremities of what this woman will do to accomplish her goal. Mm-hmm. Right. How committed she is because she showed up at her house with the intent of cutting a baby out of her stomach. And that's what she is dead set on. Mm-hmm. And, and she will kill anybody that gets in her way, anybody without a second hesitation and in whatever tools that she has around her and in the most brutal ways possible. That's why it works for this. That's why it works for the story. Mm hmm. Because you you do you have to show so at the end where it's just like you get to the point where it's like it's a no holds bar there's nothing off the table right. that is they're going to go this way and this is what sets French extreme versus Hollywood because Hollywood they need the money makers so right. let's get the happy ending let's keep it subdued let's do this versus of oh, in foreign films we can take the risk. Hey, you know, we're just going to go. Let's go and let's show something that's brutal, and that, the audience get behind it. That's the, and that's no more evident than in the remake of the American remake of this film. So, Inside got a remake in 2016, starring Rachel Nichols. Of people may remember her from Continuum fame, um, and she had a, and she had a small part. She was the babysitter in uh, Amityville Horror with Ryan Reynolds. So, but Rachel Nichols uh, was in this film, was in the remake of this film. And I thought that she did exceptionally well because after I watched the French version, I had just like martyrs, I had to go and watch the American version just to see what, what happens and to see if they're going to tame it, if they have the balls to really go where the story is leading. And unfortunately, you really said, how bad are they going to tame it? That should have been your, or how bad, really. like how, how yeah, bad how are they going to tame it? Uh, tame this shit, yeah. How bad will they tame it? And do they, or do they have the stones to actually go? And and do the film right. It's like the difference between the you know the Japanese. Well, we need is- to make it. We do. We do need to make a, a clear distinction here. I don't think it's necessarily the filmmakers, right? It's like the directors and whatnot. I guarantee there are so many that have the quote have the stones to do that to follow through with that. But when you've got film backers, the production right. houses, they're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. And I think that that shows the shows the this everlasting shyness in America. While we do get, uh, well, we do get the occasional one. Unfortunately, they just don't perform well. They just right. don't. And I think that that goes to specifically just the American this this American idea, like this this idea that that the that evil will never overcome good. That that which fights for good will always overcome evil. Evil is instantly recognizable by its black hats and twirling mustaches. And the good guys always wear white and they always come out on top because they're fighting the fighting for the greater good or fight, you know, fighting for something pure or whatever. And that's what ostensibly, which is so weird because the American version, while well acted, Rachel Nichols is a fantastic actress. That film follows this one almost beat for beat. It all goes down pretty much the same, except for the final conclusion when the when the last fight falls over into a pool. When they fall into the pool, a pool cover, they fall onto a pool cover. And in order to save the baby, in order to save the baby's life, um, the killer 
or the, the the woman is trying to steal it, dives into the pool to say, and saves the baby at the cost of her own life. So she winds with mm -hmm. so that mama bear energy ends up killing herself. She's willing to sacrifice herself to save the baby she was trying to steal anyway. And Rachel Nichols survives. And then we get the happy ending where the evil person is put down and the good person survives. Right. Which took all the teeth out of everything that happened because it's it's almost expected because of where because where the story is coming from. In this one, I like the French version because you never knew who was going to like at any given point, the upper hand can turn at any moment, you know, given the hubris, given the hubris or given the actions of any other particular individual involved. Like when the police showed up, it was like, holy shit, they got this on lock. No, unfortunately they don't. Then all of a sudden, you know, you know, the sequence when she's like hovering over her on the bed, that's a pot, you know, and then things keep twisting and turning and you never know what's going to happen. I like that it kept me on edge. And I like the idea that they have these two kind of like mother bears coming at one another, you mm -hmm. know, to, to, to have, you know, to, to try and accomplish the same goal to, you know, to save the baby for themselves. And then she paid for it. The, the bad guy pays for it as dearly as the mother herself did. So it, ostensibly it all comes down to when it came down to the nitty gritty, it's all about the life of the child. And so they wind up saving the baby at the cost of the mother's life, but she fucking pays for it. And likely I, and the only solace I had in this one, because the evil, the evil girl's got the evil woman's got the baby. The La Femme has the baby at the end. The only solace I have is that that chick is likely not going to survive her injuries. <laughs> it's the only solace I took from her this. Her face is fucked up. That yeah. her shit was fucked. You know, she, she rocked her like this. So I'm thinking, likely not going to make it. it's like you have your 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 sap you oh sorry no i almost said sapphic you have your sis your um what's the word um your your pyrrhic victory that this is a pyrrhic victory on all on all sides so i thought i have to give it to that brutal and unflinching and you cannot look away but it's real in that respect and i have to give the filmmakers that that props for willing to go to that extreme and say this is your nightmare played out before you you know and see one of the things and we start talking about kind of differences with american audiences versus french audiences and honestly i think one of the biggest things that's influenced how basically american view cinema versus france and europe is you think back to world war ii because in France, that was the hot spot. You had battles in France. You had Nazi occupation in France. Mm -hmm. So uh, when that war is over, what's the point of censoring stuff when you have all these atrocities that are happening in the streets right outside the door? You can't go, okay, we can't show blood and guts despite how many people died all around you. Versus in America, there was no battle in the streets for the for, except for soldiers and troops that went over there it was censored it was clean you still had like you saw the Hayes code at the time that people were away from that and even the and even how we see ourselves in world war ii we're the saviors that we come in so everything is kind of censored and we maintain that victorian style like we can keep everything neat and clean but over in europe they've already seen the worst yeah. right yeah i guess and not not afraid to shy it. away well yeah. I, I will say one thing that does interest me that is intriguing about this whole thing we're talking about how american audiences don't generally get along with with anything other than happy endings that doesn't seem to translate from reading like novelizations 
we'll have things that have not happy endings and people are like cool they'll make bestsellers but when it translates to a film like no nah. like you hate the ending of the mist i think it's fucking great Talk i about don't it. i don't i don't hate the I, I don't hate the ending of the mist i hate what the ending of the mist makes me feel like because <laughs> like i watched that and i'm like it was well done i can see it it actually follows from the film like the whole ideology fear makes you do the unthinkable i get it it's like oh i totally see that as a possible outcome fuck that movie makes me want to eat a bullet every time i watch the ending of it it was kind of like <laughs> son of a bitch and I just, that's you know, the point that's right. the point of it exactly yes. it is, it's like yep. oh because i almost want to be like no nah, i just want to just like maybe i should just like turn this off as they're driving into the mist and that will be the ending that i'm good with nope I can't. I cannot just adjust my head cannon like that. They don't fucking make it because fear makes you do the fucking unthinkable, and yep. that's what it did. Fear overrode reason, and he clicked, clicked it. And I'm kind of like, son of a, god, punch you in the. But how would he know? How would he know? You yeah. can't get mad at him because how would he know? Yeah. Right. So good. I'll just. Which is the real horror of that because <laughs> you know live, having to live with that. That's the real. That's horror. the real. Horror. That's that's yeah. the real horror. Right. The there. consequences of your actions. Yeah, I don't think he. The, I don't think he lived much longer than that. And the fuck, he probably did. But even if he didn't wind up doing that, wind up like you know, you know, canceling his life subscription um, after the after the closing moments of the film. Even if he didn't do that, it is likely he would not be prosecuted for that either. Right. Because you, you have a massive apocalyptic event that happens, there's going to be no court system. It's like no. the court system be like, well, let's see, giant supernatural monsters roaming the countryside. You thought you were going to, yeah, and you didn't want them torn apart horribly. Uh, yeah, I get it. I, I, can, I can give you a pass. And yeah. now, he, so now he's got to live with that yeah. on his own terms. Duh. I'm just sitting here thinking about it. It's gonna like ah no. Yep. <laughs> but again, that's what makes that's what makes that type of storytelling so good is that you are left with a feeling, which is what we're supposed to do as filmmakers, as storytellers. We're supposed to leave you feeling something, and sometimes it's not a good feeling. Sometimes it's you like, need to be slapped around a little bit. It's like writing a really good sad song. Right. A yeah. song that makes you feel terrible, but it's a good song, but it rips your heart out. But then you hit play it again so it can rip your heart out again. Not everything can be Independence Day where we're right. all jumping up in the theater and be like, yeah, <laughs> you know. Except you got the British audience is like, because <laughs> well, it has that one line it's about time the americans came up with a plan you're like, yes wow that's egotistical because like, oh, we owe america because america america solves problems america can always fix it <laughs> i remember just being like just in the fucking theater watching watching independence Day the first. it can't always be that way no. and i that's why i know it's not for the faint that movies like this are not for the faint-hearted there are many of them out there um, some of some movies you could say proto new wave. There's like proto ones like Salo, like August Underground, um, that I would say are like kind of like that came out way before like you know French New Extreme came along. But movies like like you said, Martyrs, you know, High Tension, they, you know, Inside, you know, brutal savagery that you know ostensibly we it's it's an aspect of reality that we tend to try and run away from because we have not as a country, as a society ourselves here in this you know this city on the castle or this uh city on the hill that we live in we have not had that experience in our daily lives you know it's you know 
everywhere else, everywhere else around the world has sure, dealt with we, that we, shit. We haven't, we haven't dealt with it like uh, on the European, went to that European extreme, right? We, you know, there's some places in Europe that are decimated from fucking World War II. Hmm. We haven't dealt with it on that extreme. But we have dealt with, I mean, we had the Civil War here. There's still some relics of the Civil War that, you know what I mean? Again, we're still talking like fucking long time ago. Um, we've dealt with with domestic terrorism. We've dealt with uh, uh, foreign terrorism. So we have dealt with it. We just, like young, like a young person would do, we have compartmentalized all that shit. Well, it only happened to us because of this. So we can put this over here. We can put it in a box, put it over here. Now it's away from me. I don't have to deal with it anymore. Don't have to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, whereas. Because we is so helpless without you. <laughs> this is true. Anyway, anyway we, we, we could fucking tangent on that all day long. Even Australia, as you said, it's just as Canada has neither, but it's a constant battle against the cold. You know, it really is. Yeah, you because know, yeah, you know, it's it, that's that's the war for Canada. <laughs> Don't forget about even, the meat. Even Australia, even Australia had it. It was like the war against the emus. So, <laughs> <laughs> fucking Australia has a war against everything. This is daily life in Australia. <laughs> that's why Australian horror is so fucking brilliant and and just doesn't shy away because every day is a survival journey. Yeah. I sent a video to a good friend of the channel, uh, to, to PhD Tony. Who's, a, who's a, a supporter and a big, big fan of the channel? I sent him a video, which is like mornings in Australia, and it was like it was like a clip is like fucking Turok. He like walks out of a building and it's just fucking monsters everywhere, and he's like, duh, 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 duh. and I sent it to him, and he was like, "Yeah, it's about it. <laughs> it's like giant spiders and snakes and fucking lizards and shit all over the place." He was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's about right." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got one of those on my floor right now. You have like a mishap in Australia, and it's just another day. Yeah, it's another like, hey, day. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike. Oh, so maybe that one. <laughs> yeah, Call on me. That was nice. Me. <laughs> nice and cool out here. I must go I'm gonna grill up the barbecue. You want to come yeah, join right, me outside? Fuck. Oh. All right. So speaking of all these savage and extreme uh, new age French films, I want to know. Let me know. What do you believe is the most savage new extreme film? Let us know. Weekendhorror at gmail.com in the side chat or in the comment section down below. Curious. Curious. Extra J says that when it comes to everything trying to kill you, Africa laughs at Australia. I don't, I mean, yes, Africa has some fucked up shit. Don't get me wrong. But Australia, even the fucking plants are trying to kill you. This is true. And then, what, what is, is that? that what is it? That, 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 uh, the, the uh, metal thing? Fuck. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Oh, it's got the silliest name. It does. It's got this, it's... And if you touch it, it puts you in excruciating pain. You want to die. I have to look it up. What is that? Uh, gimpy? The Gimpy Gimpy? I think Some it's the Gimpy like Gimpy plant or something like that. Um, gimpy Gimpy, yes. The Gimpy plant, which is also called, I shit you not, the suicide plant. Yes. No, yeah, I know. It makes you want to fucking kill yourself because it puts you in excruciating pain. Have you ever I'm heard of this? Saying, I'm just saying, like, the name Suicide Plant, you earn that name. Yes. No okay. Have you ever have you ever heard of this? Have you ever heard of this thing, Eugene? The suicide plant? No. Yeah, the gimpy gimpy plant. So the gimpy plant or gimpy gimpy plant. Um, 
essentially, okay, it has an extremely painful sting, which may leave the victim suffering for weeks or even months. It is reputed to be the most venomous plant in Australia, if not the world. And after contact with the plant, the victim will feel an immediate severe burning and stinging at the site of contact, which then intensifies further over the next 20 to 30 minutes and will last from hours to several days before subsiding. During this time, the victim may get little to no sleep because of the intensity of the pain. In severe cases, it may cause urticaria and the lymph glands under the arms may swell and become painful. And there have been rare cases of hospitalization due to this. So, you know, that's how intense this fucking plant is. That's where, like, you've been, you're in so much pain, your nerves get tired. Yeah. Because it's just complete <laughs> nonstop pain. And that's just a plant. That's just a fucking plant. Yeah. That's a plant. There are stories. There are stories. There's a couple of anecdotal stories of people like like a dude who accidentally used the Gimpy Gimpy as like toilet paper, which is doubtful because he would have been stung the minute he touched it. Yeah. But there was there have been numerous uh, numerous accounts of horses. Having, uh, having, you know, like accidentally run into gimpy gimpies or, or brush up against them and becoming so violent that they have to be rested. Yep. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. That's a plant in Australia. Never mind the fucking taipans or the fucking uh, the spider. Never mind the great whites and the fucking saltwater crocodile. Never mind the fucking dingoes. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> so much pain you can have a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see here. Oh, so, but someone else said, where's that place with the bullet ants? Bullet ants are in the Amazon. Yes. Those are the ones that when you when they when they sting you, uh, it feel when, uh, when a bullet ant stings you, it feels like getting shot. Eugene's <laughs> <laughs> so like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> There is a tribe in the Amazon that a test of manhood. Yeah, is they they weave bullet ants into these two gloves. Okay, they weave them into the gloves, and you have to stick your hands in them. Yeah, I will not, not be a part and, of that tribe and not cry out. And you have to accomplish that task. I think ten times in order to become a man. No, no. And see, that's I'm a little boy. This is the thing about the brutal part of that is because it's multiple times. Because the first time, you know, it's going to be painful, but you don't know quite extent. You can't fathom the extent the pain's going to be. Once it happens the first time, and you know how bad it's going to be, you know how long it's going to last, and then do it nine more times. <laughs> As like the the guy who broke his arm, or the guy who uh, severed his arm for 127 hours when he got stuck under the boulder, he said the worst part of breaking both bones of his arm wasn't breaking the first bone because he's never broken a bone before up to that point. It was breaking the second one because mm. he knew how bad it hurt. He knew it was going to be heavy bad. Yeah, the Satari Mawe, the Satari Mawe people of Brazil, they use them as part of their initiation rites to become warriors or leaders. The ants are first rendered unconscious by submersion in a natural and in a natural sedative, and then eighty of them are woven into gloves, which resemble which resemble big oven mitts, and made that are made of vines and leaves with the stingers facing inwards. When the ants regain consciousness, an initiator repeatedly blows smoke at the ants to uh, to agitate them and make them more aggressive. And then once it's done, the initiate puts the gloves on and keeps them on for five to ten minutes or longer. Afterward, uh, the the boy's hand and part of his arm are temporarily paralyzed because of the ant venom, and he may like have the shakes uncontrollably for days 
after the fact. And then to fully complete the initiation, a boy or man must go through the ordeal, I'm sorry, 20 times over the course of several months or even years. Uh, no, I'll be a uh, berry picker. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I would like to know what kind of outfits that they wear that can hide those huge balls that they have. <laughs> <laughs> you can see, you imagine, you imagine that tribe coming up. It's like it did the first one, the first member to get stung by a bullet ant. Ah, oh, this is how you make a man. <laughs> you know, and that, that was the that was the you reasoning. Guys, you had a bunch of other tribe members like, what? Why can't what we just you... run across, <laughs> swim the Amazon, or uh, wrestle a fucking snake? No bullet ants, buddy. That's nope. why that tri- that's why that tribe still exists to this day because somebody it's comes along and they just things. like watch with this ant. Like, what the fuck are you going to do as a human being? <laughs> I'm good. You cannot punch someone in the face hard enough. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yes, oh, so we, we are f- delaying because I don't want to talk about this next movie. No. Oh, this was not too bad. Come on. What no, do we got, Eugene? Wasn't. Bad. It was bad. It was, it was really, really bad. Paint by fucking numbers. Joshua Lee just say extreme movies, Ichi the Killer, uh, which is, you know, uh, an intense one, yeah. The each of the killer was hardcore. Uh, I saw the devil, human centipede, too. There's some solid ones out there, but yeah, uh, the ex- extreme said martyrs, martyrs. See, I gotta go with martyrs as far as like, I was like, like, like new extreme martyrs took it to the level. And once again, the American remake sapped it of every sapped yeah. you know, literally defanged that film. But the, the French one, son of a bitch, man, I was left out of breath. Oh, Tony Regime, that was Coyote Peterson who did that. Here we go. Are we ready for this? We're ready for this. Mm. Last, <laughs> we have... And certainly Wish- least. Last and least, we have Wish Upon, released July 14th, 2017. Roll it. There you have it. Wish Upon, directed by John... R. Linetti, you have starring Joey King, Ki Hong Lee, Sydney Park, Elizabeth Rom, and Ryan Felipe. And basically, make his alimony payments, apparently. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a very, very expensive <laughs> alimony payment. And basically, in a nutshell, you have Claire who ends up coming across a box that grants seven wishes, but every time you make a wish, someone must die. Is the perfect example of why angsty teens do not deserve godlike power. <laughs> also, a perfect example of why directors shouldn't be giving shitty scripts to do. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's so it's so bad. It doesn't touch on any of the themes that it could touch on. It's just you have this girl that's not likable and selfish, and she keeps wishing upon different things, and then you have the kills which are taking right out of Final Destination. Oh, fuck. So I'm going to read this description that I gave you guys after I watched it. Hang on a second. Because some people have already picked up on it. It's the monkey's paw meets Final Destination meets Hellraiser. Oh, and sprinkle in a little Wishmaster. Yeah. That's what this piece of shit is. I'm sorry. I I know people out there who, who put their... You know, time and effort and whatnot, and the performances are fine. Ryan Philippe, he actually does a fairly good job. It's not, it's not the the players. It's the the movie itself is just garbage. It is fucking terrible. It's technically, 
fine. I have no problems with the cinematography. I have no problems with sound design. I have no problems with the technical aspect of the film. It's fine. It's perfectly fine, perfectly passable. They made some really, really good choices and decisions when it comes to the things they were trying to accomplish, at least visually. It's the fact the movie is just bad. This is a terrible script. It's a bad script and bad direction. That's exact. The people in charge of the actual story itself, because you're right, the cinematography, production design, all that kind of stuff, it's good. It passes. The movie never looks like a low-budget movie at any point. It looks like just a a very professional Hollywood-looking movie that is perfectly fine. But the thing is, is you have the main girl who's not likable at all because it's a lot of selfish reasons. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she's willing to make wishes on little stuff, knowing that people are going to die. And then she gets upset that people die, but then she keeps making wishes. And it's just, well, I will give, I will extend this And jail. And I talked about this earlier. I will say at first, she didn't know this is what was happening. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. In the very beginning, you don't know, but once she realizes what's going on and then she keeps going. Yeah. It's it's such it's such a catch twenty two because we normally talk about don't read the ancient languages like don't read aloud the ancient language but unfortunately uh, the warnings for this were on the box itself and mm. if she read the ancient languages she probably never would have done it anyway but but I I the, my biggest issue on this one like obviously yes we have the. Tony Regime says this film needed a storyboard by Eugene <laughs> it probably did. <laughs> um, the biggest failure on this one, I think, is the uh, is the territory that was left unexplored. Stories like this are like, for example, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go to another uh, kind of American film that has the. Um, if you look at The Grudge, so you look at Juwan, a Japanese horror film, then you look at The Grudge, the American remake with Sarah Michelle Gellar. I really really enjoyed that one, and the, one of the primary reasons why I enjoyed it is because it doesn't just leave all the element like the Japanese elements behind. It doesn't ignore that and place it all in America. It actually weaves it from the Japan story and then goes all the way through, and and that that informs the entire film. The ancient Chinese uh, mythology that goes behind the box, the demon that's involved with it, the history behind it is anecdotal to what is going on. That's mm-hmm. unexplored territory, which I felt would be really, really interesting. And the idea that they they touch on the possibility that this box, that the demon that is inhabiting this box is deliberately altering reality to grant these wishes. The wishes don't come true in funky ways. You know, like I wish for world peace and everybody vanishes, like except for you, like in the X-Files. It's not like you have to be specific. Your wishes come true as you intend them to come true fantastic that's great but the problem is somebody dies on dies as a result of that but the person who dies and the effects of that death are deliberately intended to affect the user to get them to make the next wish which is what a demon would do is like mm-hmm. the, the whole point is you make seven wishes and then you have to die at the end that's the sacrifice you get seven wishes and then upon the wishing of the seventh one you are the sacrifice that completes the cycle and then someone else, you know, takes the box and, you know, and the cycle continues. So unfortunately they did not explore deeper into that territory. That was excellent storytelling material that was never mined in favor of this kind of like, and I have to say, I have to bring it up extra J brought up. I thought of myself, the craft also kind of like meets the monkey paw. Cause there were elements mm-hmm. of the craft in it as well. And we see how those, you know, you know, playing with magical forces. If you, if you don't know the, if you can't like, 
the outcomes are never what you expect them to be. And, you know, normally you wouldn't do any of the shit. Not to mention the problem with that, the craft had likable characters. This one, she's not a likable person. And they, they stress that she's the problem. She is the reason for all of her problems and trying to make them go away via magical means is not going to solve them in the, yeah, there's that, yeah. there's that, there's that, the kind of like the moral of the story there. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I really got out of it because it kind of like pushed me out uh, the, 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 the missed uh, opportunities was I did not mind Ryan Felipe getting, you know, iced with a chainsaw. I didn't mind that at all because. <laughs> and, well, see, and, see, that's the issue is, is that it's like, okay, well, someone has to die. And if maybe they died in some supernatural way or something that didn't seem preventable, then uh, I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. But you have these Final Destination style deaths because it's like some okay, of them aren't Final me- Destination style. They are just straight rip of Final Destination. Just straight rip, like getting hit by a car. Yeah. Um. But I well, mean, the, well, the Sherilyn Fens, Sherilyn Fens sequence well, uh, in that. What I'm saying is like when she goes down the stairs and then she sees her dad outside standing. Under a guy using the chainsaw the most stupid way you could use <laughs> yeah. a fucking chainsaw. Just dumb as shit. Just so it's like, right. oh, oh, please. Please tell me Ryan Fleeb is going get, to get, just eat this chainsaw. And he did. And he that and and all was good with the universe. That all was made up for this entire movie. But Sherilyn, I, I, I will say this. The one good one that, that gets me. And this will probably this won't this won't hold for everybody. It doesn't even salvage the film in and of itself. But the sequence with Sherilyn Fenn did kind of get that tension there because sticking a hand in a garbage disposal is a natural kind of like fear of mind of what can happen of what a you know having worked with them and been in maintenance, I know what a what a garbage disposal can do, mm-hmm. and that sticking your hand down in one is always that's why I learned very on always unplug the disposal before you do anything. If you're ever going to be doing it, always unplug the disposal first. It's very easy. Go under the sink, unplug the disposal. Then you can mess with the disposal inside. Do not stick your hand in the disposal when it's fucking plugged in. And especially not when the switch to turn it on is, it is, is at is at waist height Whoa. on the counter. So you could accidentally bump into it. That that sequence got me. And But then I was going to like the, the hair in the disposal is like, really? Really? Yeah. The disposal like, sucks it, that fucking much that it was able to pull her hair into it from fucking six feet away. Fuck off. And literally, and, and like it didn't scalp her. I guess it like broke her neck against the counter, which is kind of like so odd. It's like, like you know, but was, to, to do that, you have a wind turbine. Fucking it's like a fucking diesel engine. It's like yeah, a diesel yeah, engine oh, garbage disposal. Fucking hell. <laughs> thing has to like rev up. <laughs> Sir Chasm says garbage disposal. Definitely a nope hole. <laughs> Well, in many, in more ways than one, my friend. <laughs> it's just the, this whole thing was everything was telegraphed. Like they try to do the whole, uh, the uh, the red herring death with Ryan Philippe and her friend, right? Like, oh, we thought, oh, that's when Ryan oh, yeah, that. Like, no, I'm like, no, sure, it's going to be her. It's going to be in the fucking elevator. Uh, she said it all the whole thing. Well, what goes up must come down. I was like, oh, this bitch about to die. As soon as she said that shit, it's like, oh, she's going to fucking die in the elevator. This is so stupid. It's so telegraph, so bad. And sure, shit, they're all oh, dead. I just wanted to make this movie. Then Nemo Thirteen says the garbage disposal was powered by the Turd Polisher Nine Thousand. It I was. So. That, yeah, was, that no was Turd Polisher in this one, though. This is just a very bad. Although, uh, although it was nice, it was nice to see Barb from Stranger Things in this, which I thought was kind of cool. It was, it was nice to see uh, that actress. Yeah. 
Um, I There's think another one they tried red herring us with when she fell down the stairs. Like, no, nah, we're not falling for this shit. Mm-hmm. There's no wish made. Fuck off. And she doesn't die. I'm like, there you go. Very good. Very good. It's just, and this is why this movie's just kind of faded off. I mean, it came out in 2017, and it's already just gone. Right. Like, there's just no one. No one's talking about this film. No one is like, hey, let's go check it out. No one. It's just kind of already vanished off in the ether. I guarantee. We'll probably never bring this up again unless we're talking about a movie that just vanished. I will say, I will say, I will say good production value. They brought Jerry O'Connell in, uh, who in an uncredited cameo as the previous owner of the box. And the all the family stuff that was around him was all like they, they were pictures of his family, like his legitimate family. So like the picture of his family, that was Rebecca Romaine. Rebecca Romaine and their kids. And I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of neat. They they actually went yeah. there. So it was Jerry O'Connell using his actual like real life stuff in order to do the scene. I thought that was kind of cool. There was a little little bits there that I thought were were cute. Just like a little like, oh, neat things you can catch. But otherwise, uh, and especially in the kills, okay, I wish they'd first, gone to... First of all, you're talking about, you're like, okay, the best part about this movie is a cameo Is an uncredited cameo is an uncredited cameo and a prop decision. Is yeah, what's, right. <laughs> Way to go, prop master. The serious. I forgot. I forgot. uh, This also. Did I say meets Hellraiser? Did I add that this is also a Hellraiser? A little bit of that. Yeah, a little bit of that as well. Yeah. Ex Machina in the Machina. Thank you, Liam Wakefield. Absolutely. Absolutely. The issue. I mean, and also, you know, I the thing that you know that probably could have saved it was if the kills had been a little bit more. If we'd seen a little bit more. A little bit more, you know, maybe a little more original, um, or if we'd actually seen the the the, you know, the brutality of it. The elevator one, they spent the most money on, and that was the most detailed one because the you know, the elevator crashes and the door opens and her like body falls out and shit. Yeah. But really, to see what was happening, I yeah, we want to see that. Yeah, that that's the shit that would have elevated this film a little bit further above. I, I then, for me, it's just the fact that everything was telegraphed. It was so badly telegraphed too. They weren't even trying to hide the fact. That it was just fun. when I say paint by numbers, like it, right. like when you're making a horror film, there are certain beat points that you know, like you, if you're in a class, right? You're taking a Eugene Sir Hawkins uh, class of horror filmmaking, and you know this is the course. And Eugene's like, all right, so we're you know there are beat points that you want to hit in a, in a good film in a good horror film, right? And here are these beat points. These are the types of things you want to do. You're going to get that one lazy filmmaker. It's like, oh, no, those are the exact beat points I'm going to hit. And I'm going to hit them exactly the times that Eugene or Mr. Hawkins has written them on the fucking board. And I'm going to make a movie. And that's what they did with this thing. They took all the bullshit fucking beat points that, honestly, like, this is like like two, like two Halloween H2O style fucking beat points. And they put them in there like, this is great. This works. It's so grand. We need, a, we need an inventive death. Oh, I know. Let's take all the ones we got. We saw on Final Destination. Those were kind of cool. Put them in there. We need a creepy prop that opens up. And <laughs> Ooh, I know. I saw one in Hellraiser. Let's modify that a little bit. Yeah, put that in there. Good design. I would say good design in the box. I like the box. The box is kind of cool. Sure, that was a good, that was an interesting yeah, little yeah. prop. Yeah, once I again, the prop master came came through. Yeah. Prop master. Congrats to the prop master, the man. Master. You really, really well, handled handled your shit. Honestly, <laughs> the best part about this movie was the production design. Was the tech of the crew, yeah. right? The unsung heroes. Nobody talks about the cinematographer on this. Nobody talks about the gaffer. Nobody talks about the sound technician. Nobody talks about the prop master. Those people, those guys, the people in production, the people who handled all the technical stuff did a fantastic job because at no point during this movie did they ever criticize, well, I can't see anything. Or 
what the fuck did this person say or what does that sound none of, at no point where did i ever criticize the technical aspect of this film it is for lack of a better term perfect technically speaking yeah it, nev it never ever reveals its budget like it gets out like oh they clearly didn't have the budget to do something they had the budget to do everything they wanted to do and it was that part what they wanted to execute was executed very well mm -hmm. a lot of it came down to the directing and the yeah. writing that's where it fell apart quickly is because it was 100 safe and you know what it would have made it more interesting is instead of having these kills where they seem like final destination style if you had some kind of a creepy creature that would kill people so you can have build up a little bit more tension and it's like you can see the effects of it you don't know who the creature is going to kill that could have been a more interesting than oh here's a chainsaw that falls off or or the right. or the demon itself was on yeah, the, and, the and literally went out yeah that would that would have been intriguing yeah like the if instead of the lady tripping on a rug Oh, tripping, tripping on a rug in the dark and then impaling her fucking yeah. head on her sculpture? Yeah, that was... Maybe uh, instead it was the demon who fucking kicked her leg out from behind her while pushing her forward. Or or scared her or by scared appearing her. to her and then in her panic she wound up, you know, something that like that happened. That would have been way more interesting. And then you establish a creature. We don't know the exact rules of this creature. This creature can do whatever um, to kill its victims. That could have been way more interesting than what we got. Extra J says, Eugene Hawkins School of Filmmaking discussion on timeline. And at this juncture in the storyline, shit gets real. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right <important. here. laughs> Between the yeah. second and third act. <laughs> <sighs> I don't got anything else for this film. Me either. I ran out I of fucking charming. Yeah. Hey, oh, last thing, it helps if like your main character is likable. It's a popcorn film. You know, that, it's a popcorn film that's designed only to to yell at the screen. That's Maybe. all I really got. Just I was just, you know, why would you wish that? It's like I want him to fall madly in love with me. Why would you ever wish that? Ever? Because yeah. like that's the one of the dumbest wishes you could possibly make. I mean, come on. The craft told us that. Right. That well, came what out. I would say, <laughs> what I would say about you talk about the like likability of the main character. Uh, she was she was okay again. I didn't necessarily have a problem. I, she wasn't like somebody. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I was glad the fucking car ran her over because I meant the movie was over finally. <laughs> like, you know. uh, but it's you know her uh, her character her character arc was bad. She wasn't bad. Her character arc was bad. Right. Again, the performances from the players, like the acting, they they were good. They were not. It wasn't like fuck, man. Are you reading a cereal box? No. Everybody, the small characters, they they did their jobs very well. It's just the, you know, when you're given fucking shitty modeling clay, like not play-doh, but dough play. You know what I mean? The <laughs> wish.com version of of modeling clay, and told to make fucking hey, I want you to sculpt the david statue first off that was made out of marble not modeling clay and second you gave me shitty modeling clay why does this stuff smell like bird seed <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the thing i'm glad he made a distinction because the acting itself was not bad in this film and i don't want to knock the actress oh joey all. king joey king is very very talented very yeah, i mean you've seen her in some of the other stuff that she's done she's you know, the princess was a fantastic one i love that mm -hmm. it, she was great in that one and of course the one where she plays the uh, the girl who's being kept sick by her mother her and um and oh, uh, emma, Paul, emma paulson 
Munchausen syndrome. The yes, story that was it. Like the true story one. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's Joey a good King actress. is great. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's like the directing, directing, and just a script overall. So yeah, but I we've talked enough about this film. Yes, I want to ask the audience, what would your wishes be? You have seven wishes in the movie. What would your wishes be? Let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Keeping in yeah. mind that that each wish you make, someone's gonna have to die. Someone has to die. See, See here's, I, how you beat, here's how you beat these, how you beat these these evil wish master ones. Um you just I wish this box was never made. <gasps> oh no. Oh no. But then if it was never made, then all your wishes come undone. Yeah, but because it was uh, never made for you to have it in the first place. No, well, okay. Shucks, everybody's alive. See, I don't see, have to worry about getting hit see, by I, see, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult for me because, like, <laughs> I like I was telling Johnny, for me, it's it's kind of like that that uh, that movie, The Box, where like you know a hideous Frank Langella comes up with the boxes. Every time you push the button, you will get a million dollars, but someone somewhere in the world randomly will die, and then so you have to. Wait, wait, what are you doing? Stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm poor. <laughs> I'm a billionaire. <laughs> it's like, just like, believe me, before, and, you know, my circle of, my circle of loved ones is so small. The odds of it actually hurting them. There's a lot of it. It's like, really? Really? That That's the case? Okay. We're yep. good. Yes. Yep. It's like. Motherfuckers just be dropping out there in the world. <laughs> Travis Brown says, none. I just throw the box away. Because you're a better man than we are, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Cab says, wow, universal basic needs of humanity met with capitalism or religion. One wish done. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Help everybody out there. Yep. Oh, love it. So, yes, definitely let us know what your seven wishes would be. I'm very curious to hear that. And given that, that was our last film. You know what time it is. It's motherfucking trivia time. Jail would give himself carpal tunnel. Uh, jokes on you i've already got it oh. <laughs> my wrist hurts so bad <laughs> i can't feel my fingertips and it wasn't from typing oh <laughs> there's a laser sound <laughs> self-zinger <laughs> all right tonight's trivia question the first person who gets this answer correctly in the live chat wins a Mr. Adam from the Weekend Horror Store. What's this? Cindy says the original story ended with the woman pushing the button and her husband dying. Oh, okay. I don't think she she was like. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> so the first person to get this correct answer uh in the live chat gets a Mr. Adam from the Weekend Horror Store. Be sure you check out the link for that's in the description if you want to check out the items that we have there to really, really help support the store or help support the show. Um, but yes, here we go. The trivia question for tonight is, get those Google fingers ready. What Argentinian filmmaker is considered the most prolific new extreme filmmaker? Eugene Hawkins. Oh, fuck. I gave away the answer. What Argentinian filmmaker is considered the most prolific new extreme filmmaker? Correct answer. The first correct answer down in the live chat will win an item from the Weekend Horror Store. 
Let's see what they got. See what they got. I know those answers are going to start, but people are okay. It's taken a minute for an answer to come in, which means people are looking. It's like, uh, what, what is it? What is it? Come on. I know someone's got something. Uh, we saw, we got an answer coming in. No, let's see. Andrew. Uh, negative, 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 not yeah. Martel. Andrew Rivera, not Lucretia Martel. Uh, Sir Cavs, not Paula Hernandez. Uh, Nemo 813, nope, not Ava Perron's husband. <laughs> Liam Wakefield, yeah. boom, has got it. Yes, the answer is Gaspar Noé. Gaspar Noé and Joshua Lee was falling right behind with Gaspar Noé as well. And Sherry Tilly, not David Ubina, but Gaspar Noé, yes, is the most prolific new extreme filmmaker virtually every film in his filmography is, a, is considered French new extreme. So, congratulations, Liam Wakefield. Let me get your name down. Excellent. Well done. And be sure to get us your shipping details. You can get those to us at weekendhorror at gmail.com or via Discord. Just message us and get us your shipping details so we can get that printed and sent out to you. So, congratulations, bud. Well, well done. That's a good one here. <laughs> Alan Smithy, yeah. <laughs> All right, and that's you horror fiends. We'll close out this week's episode of the Weekend Horror Podcast. Let's stay. Turn to goddamn trap club again. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, smash those like and subscribe buttons, and be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode. Join us next week when we look back at the legendary Vincent Price horror, The Fly. The Savage Supernatural World War II Horror Ghosts of War. That was a mouthful. That's what you did. Killer Corporate Culture in Office Uprising and the Return of Mr. Boogie. Still not a good name in Sinister 2. Uh, be sure to check out Josh Olson's store at BadSamurai.store. He does all the awesome artwork you see splattered all over our merch, which you can find over at Teespring. Go check it out. For more Weekend Horror, check out all the bloody links in the description. Follow us on the socials for the Daily Splatter, which is your daily horror recommendations. Join our Discord for watch parties, big announcements, and all kinds of horror shenanigans. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and you can support the show through our PayPal link or through our Patreon. Join the higher tier for early content access and behind-the-scenes fun with the crew or even just support the show for as little as a dollar a month. One dollar. One dollar. What are you waiting for? Join us. Join us or die. No fuck. As always, thank <laughs> you all for being the greatest audience a horror film podcast could have. I'm some fat guy. I'm Eugene. And I'm JL. We'll see you next week. And remember... Stay happy. Or scared. Hot mic. Hot mic.